The following podcast contains spoilers and words that my mother would prefer I did not say. We watch it. Hello everybody and welcome back to We Watched a Thing. This week I'm lucky enough to have with me one of the most incredible women from podcasting who does what I could never do, a brilliant solo show. It's Em from Verbal Diorama. How you doing, Em? Well, I mean, I wouldn't say you were lucky, um, <laughs> but um, yes. Hello, Billy. Uh, hi, everyone. And um, I, I guess you're wondering what is a place like me doing in a girl like this? <laughs> I do consider myself lucky because, you know, I listen to a lot of a lot of podcasts and honestly, yours is one of the best. It's amazing. You've been doing it for over two years now. Yeah. Almost three. Almost yeah. three. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Time goes fast. And every week you put out incredible content. And I know that you've done this film before. So yes. when, when I contacted <laughs> you and said, would you mind coming on for an episode? And you said, look, can we do this? It's my mission to do this movie on as many podcasts as is humanly possible. <laughs> I jumped at the chance yeah. because this is one of my all-time favorite movies as well. And when Topher was on the show, we had a rule that we couldn't do a movie that we'd both seen. It had to be one that the other person hadn't seen. And so we never got a chance to talk about this movie. And so I'm so excited to finally have someone to talk about The Mummy with. <laughs> yeah, this is genuinely my favorite movie ever 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 and yes it is true i've been on a lot of podcasts to talk about the mummy and yes it is my mission to talk about the mummy as often as physically possible on literally every podcast in the world uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad to be but able to help now, you on that uh, mission. <laughs> thank you. But for now, I'm I'm really, really happy to be here talking to you about this movie. Thank you. Well, The Mummy is a 1999 American action-adventure film written and directed by Stephen Summers. It's a remake of the 1932 film of the same name, and it stars Brendan Fraser, Rachel Weisz, John Hanna, Kevin J. O'Connor, and Arnold Vosloo. And what is it about, M? I mean, it's it's obviously, like you say, it's an action adventure. It's also it's also a romance. It's also a comedy. It's also a horror as yep. well. And one of the things I really love about this movie is I feel like it blends all those genres really perfectly. Yeah. But basically, the movie is about a young woman who, you know, I can relate. Well, maybe not so much about the young, but I can relate. <laughs> uh, who's basically uh, she lives in very much a man's world it's the late 1920s there's still a lot of stigma attached to being a woman and being a professional and you know she is into uh, archaeology and Egyptology and she's just fascinated with Egypt and and everything to do with that and obviously she has a brother they kind of find this puzzle box and uh, well they call it a puzzle box it turns out to be a key inside the key is a map uh, the map to Hamanaptra, which is basically where it's rumoured that all of the kings of Egypt left all their treasure. And, and they basically go on a huge adventure yep. to Hamanaptra. Evie accidentally awakens a mummy uh, yes. who has a 3,000-year-old curse upon him. It's the curse of the Homdai because Imhotep was a very, very naughty boy. <laughs> And he decided to have an affair with the pharaoh's mistress. And their love is so strong that 3,000 years later, he awakens and he's still in love with her. 
And basically, that is what all women want. <laughs> 3,000 years later, for their man or their woman or whoever to still be madly in love with them. Yeah. So um, so basically, what we're saying is that, yes, Imhotep is technically evil. And yes, you know, he <laughs> basically rains down all of the plagues of Egypt on yeah. pretty much everyone. But, but he's also he the perfect man. Yeah. <laughs> he did it for love. So it's okay. Yeah. And so they had they have to stop him. And that's basically the mummy. That's it. And I'm so, so sorry I didn't pl- I didn't plan that. That's just kind of what came off the top of my head. I mean it's it's a really good job, isn't it, that I've seen this movie so many times yeah. that I literally know it yeah. off by heart, isn't it? Um It is. Yeah. As I said, I love this movie so much as well. I got hate on the show a couple of years ago when we did Raiders of the Lost Ark and I spoke about how I think this is a far superior adventure movie like i came i came to indiana jones very late so this for this like is my indiana jones this is the adventure movie that i grew up with and and love i i'm just assuming that you and i are around the same age did you see this movie when it came out i saw this movie i didn't see it at the cinemas i actually saw it when it came out on rental yeah uh because back in those days uh it was vhs yeah. I rented it constantly, like pretty much <laughs> constantly. So much so that when the rental shop, I don't know if it, it was like this in, in Australia, but certainly over here, the the little rental shops that were kind of everywhere, occasionally they'd do like sales and they'd yeah. say, oh, ex-rental, uh, yeah, up for yeah. sale. And so they had an ex-rental copy of The Mummy and it was probably the copy that I was constantly <laughs> renting. Um, and so I bought it. I still have it. it. Not at my house, but my parents have it at their house. Yeah. And it's probably one of the most precious things <laughs> that I've ever bought was this uh, copy of The Mummy on rental because, yeah, then I could just watch it all the time. And it's just been pretty much since, because I didn't watch it in 1999, so it would have been like the year 2000. Yeah. So 21 years I've been watching <laughs> this movie constantly and, oh, my God. So old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I used to work in a video shop in the early two thousands. It was best job I ever had. I'd finish at midnight and just come home with movies and candy and just watch movies all night until I went to work again the next day. And it was just the best. But yes, yeah, so I I did see this at the cinemas in ninety nine. I was eleven years old, and it was. I'll I'll never forget it. Like I, I used to go to the movies just about every weekend around that time, and yet. I don't remember most of them, but this always stands out to me. You know, the image of the mummy's face in the sand will just always stick out in my head. I just love this movie so much. I mean, I I really do think that a lot of the special effects, you know, you've got to kind of appreciate this movie is, is well, it's the best part of 22 years old now. So, yeah, yeah. you know, this, the CG is not going to be brilliant it's not going to be kind of to the level that what we'd expect now but I still maintain it holds up it holds up because it's not so special effects driven I mean the effects are important in the movie because you have to believe that Imhotep in mummy form is genuinely terrifying and and this is a movie that my mother still refuses to watch because she thinks it's really scary (laughs) so um you know it, it has to be believably terrifying and and that for me kind of sets it apart from raiders because i from my heart the mummy is the better movie from my head yes you know raiders of the lost ark it is 
we would not have this movie without Raiders. That's right. So it's very much kind of a template for this film. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like I I do love Raiders of the Lost Ark because I've covered it on my podcast, and that I do have a genuine love for that movie and everything that they did. Uh, you know, with the character of Indiana Jones. You know, Rick O'Connell. I mean, I've. I, I'm very controversial in that if, if I was given the choice between Indiana Jones and Rick O'Connell, it would be Rick O'Connell <laughs> yeah. every single day. You know, they, they are very, very different movies. Um, yeah. You know, Indiana Jones is more of like an action-adventure movie. Um, whereas, like I say, this, you know, and yes, Indiana Jones does have, you know, some you know the comedy and the romance, but I kind of feel like The Mummy kind of stands very separately. Um, yeah. Mainly because it, it is actually quite an effective horror movie. You know, I remember the first time I saw the scarab beetles come up out of the ground. Oh. And, you know, it's it's genuine, terrifying stuff to have, like, these beetles chasing you that will literally go inside you and eat your flesh. Yeah. You know? it's like, he, he, that's, this is that's genuine, exactly terrifying right. stuff. It, like, regardless of the execution, just the concept of that is terrifying. Just, you know... Yeah. Even and I agree with you. I actually think the visuals in this film hold up really well as well. But even that aside, the second you see the bug in his skin, it almost doesn't even matter how it looks because you want to cover your eyes because just the thought yeah. of a bug crawling inside your body like that yeah. is pure horror. It's, it is. It's proper nightmare fuel. Yeah. And you know, I I look. You say you've you've kind of got to detach the the whole kind of occasionally honky cg i mean i'd argue that the the scene specifically where the the bug is kind of uh crawling through the warden's skin obviously the warden's played by omija lily yep. who's a very famous british comic um so it's always really interesting to see omija lily in this movie because you know he kind of plays it a bit straight in this movie and i've always known him as a comedian so yep. um yeah to have kind of this quite honky CG bug crawling through his skin. You know, yes, it doesn't look brilliant, you know, when you compare it to today's standards, but yeah. just the mere fact that it's under his skin, you know, that it goes, yeah. it crawls through his foot, it goes up and it goes to his brain, you yeah. know, to the point where he actually kills himself yeah. by running into a wall. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, that, it's like you, yeah, that's the sort of horror that it's, it's like, it's almost body horror in yes. a way. And body yeah. horror is... Is one of the worst, it's kind of makes you squirm, you know, it makes you feel uncomfortable thinking, oh God, you know, that I wouldn't want that there. You know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> don't, don't yeah. Want, I don't want bugs under my skin, <laughs> thank you very much. But yeah, I think most of the CG holds up pretty well when you consider, you know, like you say, better past 22 years now. And I think- a lot of that goes to this was still the time. You know, I think we get more issues with The Mummy Returns when they really yeah. went all in on CG. You know, they try to do everything yeah. bigger and better. With this, there is still so many practical effects that the blend yeah. works quite well. You know, there's a lot of really great makeup and prosthetic work going on here as well. And I think that blend is, for the most part, pretty effective. Like even The Mummy himself as he kind of goes through those progressive stages of becoming more and more human-like, I actually think that he looks pretty good, really. Yeah, and obviously he, as a, a you know, a CG character, you know, motion capture was kind of in its earlier forms exactly, in 1999. Yeah. 
and and the 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 kind of motion capture that they did for the mummy was some of the first kind of CG motion capture work that they actually did. Yep. So the fact that he actually does look quite decent. Um, I mean, I'm no I'm no expert on you know lighting and stuff like that, but just little things like that. I've noticed that the he does seem like reasonably well lit in the scene yes. as well. Like yep. it feels like he is tangible enough in the scenes. Yeah. But when you've actually got Arnold Vosloo and he's kind of a little bit half and half and he's got like half his cheek missing and all of that sort of stuff, you know, I, I still think that looks genuinely terrifying. And, yeah. you know, he is supposed to be genuinely terrifying in many ways. Once he become full Arnold Vosloo, yeah. in a way it, it kind of loses a little bit of that because then he looks human. Yes, um, that's absolutely true. But, yeah, you know, I I feel I mean I I I feel like even the greatest movie in the world, you've kind of got to have a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a foible here and there because you know <laughs> no, nothing's one hundred percent perfect. But well, I feel like they they kind of had to do that because otherwise, poor Arnold Vosloo wanted to be on screen <laughs> at some point. So you know. Give, give the man what he wants. But yeah, very, very minor thing. But yeah, yeah. before he becomes full Arnold Vosloo, he's he's definitely uh, a, an intimidating creature. Yeah. And, you know, as he's, I think a lot of that does come down to the fact that even though this is early motion capture, it's still a real performance, which means that all of the movements have weight. You know, this is two years before we got Gollum in Lord of the Rings. And I'd argue that honestly... This looks about on par with that. I I don't think that it had evolved that much by then. Um, and because it is a real performance, all of the movements, they carry real tremendous weight and gravity to them, which does make it very much more real and scary and imposing. Let's talk about the design of the mummy then. Have you seen the original 1930s, the Universal Monster Movie Mummy? No. No. <laughs> no. No. It's one of those that I really do want to see. Yeah. Um, and, and mainly because I know that they took so much from that movie for this one. You know, they pr- yeah. they paid proper homage to that movie in this one. And that's – I kind of really like that, that they actually kind of took the time to yeah. really um, – even like characters, you know, like Imhotep and Ardith Bay, and technically they were one and the same in the original movie. Yep. Ardith Bay was also Imhotep, um, but you know we we got a different Ardith Bay here. And I mean, Oded Fair is wow, what a man! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's basically what I feel about this movie is that they literally cast the most attractive people in the world <laughs> in this movie. Everyone in this movie is. Super attractive. Yeah. Um, Every time I watch this movie, I I think of that meme that goes around, you know, my sexual orientation is the cast of 1999's The Mummy. (laughs) And it's absolutely true. Yeah, I wish I'd created that meme. (laughs) Because I feel that meme all the time. Um, But no, I I haven't seen the original, but I do really want to. Yeah, yeah. So I'm sure that, you know, I'm sure you know, and I'm sure that you covered this in your show, that this film went through a huge development period and there were five scripts written before they landed on this one. You know, George A. Romero was attached twice to direct with two different versions of the film. And I think that most of the previous iterations lent much more into the horror of it. And then I, I think it was only when Summers came on that they they kind of morphed it into more of an action adventure romance, like all these genres blended together, like you say, which I 
absolutely love. Are you a horror fan? Like, do you think that you would have the love for this film that you do if it lent even slightly more into the horror? Me and horror, we have a very contentious relationship. <laughs> um, I've always said, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of horror. And then, you know, I've covered the odd horror movie uh, on Verbal Diorama. Um, and, and they tend to be kind of, you know... Movies like The Cabin in the Woods, yeah. um, and I've done like Scream, and I've Slither. done Thing, and I've done Gremlins, you know. Yeah. And I think for me, um, I do quite, I don't I don't enjoy horror. See, it's really weird. Like I say, it's a contentious <laughs> relationship because I don't enjoy horror. But I like horror blends. Like I like yeah. horror comedy. I like sci-fi horror. Like I love Alien. Yeah. To me, like Alien is like one of the pinnacles of you know, not only sci-fi horror, but horror, you know, it, yep. it genuinely terrifies me. A full-blown, like, psychological horror, I will not watch. Yeah, I, I okay. guarantee you I will not watch it. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to sit there and be constantly terrified. Like, that does not speak of enjoyment yeah. to me. But if it if it is like a sci-fi horror or a comedy horror, or, or even something like this, where you, you have got elements of horror that are genuinely quite scary on their own, but then... Yeah. You can mix it up a little bit because you do have the that kind of action and adventure and romance and um, comedy in there as well. I find that a lot more palatable. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's kind of to this movie's strengths. And and you mentioned The Mummy Returns, uh, which I've also covered on my podcast, actually. Yeah. Uh, and The Mummy Returns is, is really fascinating because it 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 feels like they they really wanted it to be so much bigger and better and like yeah. bolder than this one. And and I mean it didn't deliver for me. Uh not not just because of the, you know, the advanced CGI that they do in that movie, but also because I feel like it lost a lot of those elements. You know, when yeah. you say an action movie and an adventure movie and, you know, all of those like five the five perfect elements that the mummy has, you know, those five genres. Yeah. I feel like they're all lacking a little bit in the sequel. I genuinely feel like this movie is 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 quite miraculous, and, and I, I feel like loads of movies are miraculous, but I, I feel like this one is especially miraculous because it it's a very kind of certain type of movie that you know it wasn't really kind of wasn't really kind of a thing, especially yeah. in the late nineties. Yeah, um, it feels very unique in that respect, um, and they've tried to emulate it. I mean. We were all there in 2017 when Tom Cruise decided to, uh, uh, well, not not just him, obviously, some of the people too, decided to resurrect yeah. the franchise. And what a complete disaster it was. Well, I think this is the so, thing. This film, like you say, it's so unique. And I think it just came at the perfect time in cinema when you could do something like this. I don't think they could make a movie like this today because- you know, as we saw with 2017's The Mummy, everything needs to be grittier and darker and heavier. So you lose the lightness yep. that so much of this film is, you know, like yes. everything in this film. And this isn't a bad thing at all. I think this is a great thing. Everything in this film feels very light. You know, it's horror light. It's it's comedy without being in your face, laugh out loud all the time. It's adventure without, you know what I mean? It's just, and that's why all of these genres blend so well together. And I don't think you could, I just don't think they could get away with that these days. I mean, even you look at horror films for the last five years, we have really started to lean much more towards dark psychological horror, which I like. 
but you know, give me Scream any day as well. I I love that kind of genre blend, which we just we're getting less and less of in this current climate. Yeah, and I mean, I I I must admit, I don't really understand the so much the fascination with you know being so petrified that you know you're afraid to actually leave your seat. You're so scared. Yeah, uh, I I personally I don't understand how people love that, but I know so many people do love that because. You know, recent years horror movies have 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 completely blown up, and and to a degree, I often feel like, well, maybe I should give, I don't know, something like Midsummer a go because everyone says how great Midsummer is, but I just I feel like I'm not going to enjoy it <laughs> because I don't have I don't have anything to kind of fall back on because at least with a movie like this, even if you're not keen on the horror, like you're a bit scared and you want to kind of you know, shield your eyes from the yeah. horror, then it's not going to be like constant in-your-face horror every single scene and the suspense and the fear yeah. and all of that sort of stuff. Because the next scene, like you say, to to call this movie light is not doing it a disservice in, in any kind of stretch because it's palatable. Yes, like it yeah. is the sort of movie that you can, well... Technically, you can't watch it with the family because over here it's 15 rated. So maybe don't watch it with your kids. Um, But um, technically, it it kind of does lean more towards that. um, You know, you can watch it with a group of friends and everyone will get something out of it. That's right. Any Um, mood you're in, you can watch this movie, which is why I'm, I'm always shocked when I look at, you know, the Rotten Tomatoes or the Metacritic for this film. And I just, I don't understand. Like, how could anybody not have fun with this movie? There's no way to not enjoy yourself watching this movie as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The, the Rotten Tomatoes score. And I know that Rotten Tomatoes, uh, you know, you should always take those scores with a pinch of salt yeah. anyway. Um, but for this movie, I mean, I think it's an absolute travesty that it's... I think the last time I looked, I think it was like 66%. I don't know what it is now. Um, but 66%. I mean, that's that's ludicrous to me. <laughs> um, to me, this this is a five-star movie to me. This is five out of five. It's ten out of ten. <laughs> um, this, is, this is everything that's... Everything that is brilliant and joyous and wonderful about going to the cinema, yeah, you know, to, yeah. to just sit and watch something and just enjoy it and and to have characters on screen that you actually root for, apart from Benny, but even to, <laughs> a, to a degree, you know, you can understand Benny's motivations, yeah. you know, at least, you know, yes, he's a, you know, a snivelling a uh, little coward, but at least he's that throughout the movie. You know, yeah, he's yeah. he's not like pretending to be a coward. That's just who he <laughs> is. Um, but yeah, characters you can actually root for, and yeah, it's it really genuinely. And yeah, like I say, they're all really hot. So why would you <laughs> not want to sit and watch this for two hours? Because you've got literal hotness on screen. You've got anything that anyone's preference is. Yeah, is. <laughs> displayed on screen in this movie you really like, do literally yeah let's even talk, if let's... you're into mummies <laughs> even if you're into like undead three thousand year old juicy mummies <laughs> they are on screen in this movie for you let's talk about the the cast then i think from memory this must have been the first time that i saw rachel weiss and she is so great in this film and i love that when i asked you what this movie is about you started with her because I do think that your inclination would be to go, well, Brendan Fraser is the star of this movie, but 
No, I think you're right. I think that Evie is very much the main character of this film, even though, and that's what I love about what this film does is yes, it, it kind of uses Indiana Jones as like a bit of a template, but it kind of splits those characters out, you know, like Evie is more that kind of academic archaeologist side of Indy. And then you've got the swashbuckling adventurer in kind of Brendan Fraser, but they both kind of really complement each other. I I love the, the casting and the characters of this film. Yeah. I mean, I, first of all, I, I do love Brendan Fraser. Like I think he is, I think he's incredible. And obviously he had a period of time, like in the late nineties, early two thousands, where he was one of the biggest actors in the world. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's he's obviously had some some personal dramas in his life and, uh, you know, he, he came out about, you know, being sexually abused and all of that sort yeah. of stuff. And um, I, I feel like I'm so excited the fact that he's kind of the, you know, the the Renaissance or whatever it's called, you know, the, yeah. the fact that he's been cast in like Darren Aronofsky and Martin Scorsese movies. Yeah. Um, and I'm really excited to see him because... I've missed him. I've Same. genuinely missed him in cinema. He's a wonderful actor. Uh, he's, by all accounts, a wonderful person. Uh, and I think, I mean, this movie cemented him as, you know, as this kind of real box office draw, like this, you know, attractive leading man, you know, yep. who has this charisma on screen. Um, so I kind of don't want to take anything away from Brenda Fraser because... I really, really do love him, just yeah. generally in life, but I love Same. him in this. But but for me, this is this is Rachel Vice's movie. This is yeah. Evie's movie. This is this is a character that has been incredibly important to me personally, sort of throughout my whole life, because female representation uh, in movies just generally is pretty duff. Yeah, oh, um, and especially at this period of time. You think back to the yeah, 90s, it was almost non-existent. <laughs> well, exactly. And if you did have a woman on screen, she was the nagging wife or yeah. she was the helpless damsel in distress. And don't get me wrong, you know, there is a point in this movie where Evie is referred to as a damsel in distress. You know, she is captured by Imhotep and they have to go and save her. Yeah. But Evie has so much agency in this movie. She yeah. is the smart one. She is dependable. She is the one who can translate all of these, um, you know, she speaks ancient Egyptian. You yeah. know, she can read hieroglyphics. She can read Heratic. You know, no one else in the movie, apart from maybe the curator, can do that. Yeah. You know, she is absolutely 100% integral to the, the whole plot of this movie. And yes, arguably, she does release Imhotep. And yes, you know, maybe <laughs> that wasn't particularly smart <laughs> of her. But I kind of, I forgive her for that because... People make mistakes. Oh, um, yeah. And and I feel like a lot of the time women in movies are expected to be, you know, either this, this kind of trophy or be constantly perfect or be, yeah. you know, the dits in the corner. And Evie feels like a real person. Yeah. She feels like, yes, she is super intelligent and she, you know, she has all of this kind of going for her. But yes, sometimes... You know, she gets drunk and she does and says stupid things. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, she she makes mistakes, but she learns from them and she kind of wants to fix them. You know, she wants to save the world. Yeah. She's the one who wants to do something. Rick's the one who says, actually, no, I don't want to do it. You know, this is none of my business. You know, she 
she is so important, I think, for for general kind of female representation, uh, especially for me growing up watching movies like this and kind of thinking, well, where where is me off yeah. screen? Yeah. And I've always felt that I've always felt a huge affinity to to Evie and and Rachel Voice is someone who whose career I've followed sort of throughout the years and she remains one of the most incredible. She's literally like well, she wasn't the queen uh in in the favorite, but she might as well have oh. been the queen in the favorite because Fuck, she, was she is the literally favorite. the queen. <laughs> yeah. I love the favorite. Oh, I, me too. I mean, obviously yeah. Olivia Coleman as well. <laughs> oh. Both queens. Yeah. Um, Fantastic but, film. Yeah, I, yeah, I love really her funny. so much in this film. And let's face it, I would have released Imhotep as well. I don't blame her for that. You know, she's let's if you if you've been searching your whole life for these artifacts and you find this incredible old book of legend and you're one of the only people in the world who can read it, yeah, you're gonna read it. You're gonna open it up and you know. <laughs> I mean, I like I say, I I forgive her for releasing Imhotep just yeah. purely for the fact, like you say. Um, she is, she is the only person who can do it. Yeah. Um, but you know, of course you get excited. Of course yeah. you want to read the book. I get that. Yeah. Um, yeah, she, I really do feel like after this movie, you know, female representation kind of went a bit downhill again, kind of yeah. after. Uh, and I feel like it's only in kind of, you know, more recent years. Yeah. Where it's actually been a bit more acceptable to have um, a woman kind of on the team, for example, who who is smart and who yeah. is kind of self-sufficient. And, you know, and then and then you think, well, this movie was set in the late 20s and how difficult it must have been for a woman yeah. to be believed and to be respected. But I think that, that it had to be a period piece. Though, though they tried to do it modern in the 2017 version they tried to do it contemporary and it was an yep. absolute pile of poop yeah. um <laughs> so yeah i think it it had to be a period piece and i think it it's beneficial for it to be a period piece i reckon you're right probably really only in the last 10 to 15 years has representation of women in film picked up and i think a lot of that has to do with female writers and directors finally getting yep. more more stead in hollywood um so, and yeah, let, let's go back to Brendan Fraser as well, because agree not to take anything away from him. And as you say, he was, this was the start of him becoming huge. And I remember just prior to this, he was mostly, and he made that transition that a lot of actors have made or started to make and, and failed, you know, Chris Pratt starting in comedy and then moving into action Brennan Fraser was the same. I remember prior to this, the things I remember him from most are George of the Jungle and Dudley yes. Do-Right, which are kind of silly <laughs> family films, which he was great in. And then around this time, I think it was that we got Blast from the Past, might have been the same year or the year after, where we got to see him in a bit of a romantic lead. But I think he's so fantastic in this film. He he has such charisma and personality. He You, you just want to root for him because he seems yes. like such a fun person to hang out with. <laughs> I mean, you can you can totally understand why when when Evie meets this kind of, you know, dirty, rugged <laughs> guy in in a Egyptian prison, 
uh, you know, and then you kind of see him and he's all clean and tidy. And yeah. you kind of get that look from Evie as like, whoa. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. The audience is on her side. Like the audience is like, oh, wow. Like, yeah. yeah, he cleans up. Like <laughs> he's he is the sort of guy that you can take home to meet your mother. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and But then he's also, you know, he's got that kind of, adventurous streak you know a little bit of a bad boy thing going on which yeah yeah i mean it, it that's kind of my thing unfortunately <laughs> for me um but you you kind of you understand why she would feel the way that she feels about him because as the audience you're feeling the way that she's feeling <laughs> about him uh, you know and i think that that's like you know men men want to be him and and women want to be with him you know that sort yeah. of i know it's a bit of an old saying but oh it's so um, this film is 22 years old and i still want to be rick o'connell every day of my life because <laughs> <laughs> he's so cool right <laughs> i must say though just when you were talking about him in the prison this is always one of my favorite funny little things in in movies is that he was in the prison long enough for his hair to grow as long as it was Yet his teeth were perfectly white. <laughs> like he, they'd clearly still been giving him toothpaste in this prison. They couldn't afford scissors, but toothpaste is fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it, yeah, it is one of those uh, Hollywood things, isn't it? And I'll, yeah. I'll remember um, just going a bit off topic, but I'll always remember. Have you ever seen the movie From Hell? Oh, I have, but a very long time ago. Because I'll always remember that movie had Heather Graham in yeah. it. And obviously, Heather Graham, one of the most beautiful women, yeah. li literally in the whole world. And yet, um, I always remember I watched that movie and and I couldn't get her teeth out of my mind because <laughs> she has like really dirty teeth. Um, because you know it's set whenever it's, I can't even remember when it's set. It's like uh, Jack the Ripper time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she doesn't have these perfectly white teeth, and so it yeah. kind of really sticks in my memory. I'm like. But She's, but Heather Graham's got wonderful teeth. Like, what's going on? But yeah, uh, it's always yeah, funny uh, what these actors are. You know, maybe Brendan Fraser was like, "Look, I'm willing. I'm willing to do my hair out, but that's as ugly as you can make me." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because let's be honest, you you cannot make that man ugly. Like even yeah. if you try really hard, he's still one of the most attractive men in the world. Yeah. So true. Um, but yeah, it's just, just a Hollywood thing, isn't it? But it is kind of funny if you think about it. We've already spoken a little bit about Arnold Vosloo as well, but I think he's a very, very strong villain in this film. Every time this film starts, I always think it's Billy Zane. I don't know why. The first five minutes, it takes me a while for my brain to adjust and go, no, that's not Billy Zane. But um, he has very good stage presence in this film. He's he's threatening and imposing and just everything you need him to deliver, he's got in this film. Yeah, I think Arnold Vosloo is is really underrated, actually. And and I'll be honest, I've not seen him in much else. No, um, So I can't really compare his performance here. But I I feel like he does have that presence and he does that have that kind of intimidation. But I guess the hopeless romantic in me just literally sees Imhotep as this kind of, you know, 3,000-year-old... Um, romantic hero who yeah. literally will do anything yeah. to get his girl back. Yeah, it's a tragic um, love story. Yeah, it is, and I think you know a lot of the times we, 
you know, because it's kind of brushed over a little bit and because we're so focused on Rick and Evie and Jonathan and the good guys and what they're doing, um, you know, you kind of, well, ask, you kind of got to ask yourself the question, if that was you and you loved someone so much that you were willing to go against your Pharaoh and you were willing to go through the most horrific mummification that ever existed you were willing to have this curse put on you and yeah. i mean that is like what romance movies have been portraying for for centuries you know yeah. this kind of everlasting love this love from beyond the grave you know that it doesn't matter if you die you know that um that your love will go on you know sorry to quote celine dion but um <laughs> you i know, love that, celine dion actually, so you're fine will, here <laughs> that was that's heart will go on but you know what i mean yeah and i feel like that kind of adds to the strength of this movie is that it, it's not in your face about it it's not saying every five minutes imhotep really loves an episode of the moon you know <laughs> it, it's very much in the background but the fact that he's doing all this he's not doing it because he's a genuinely evil being yeah this is just his only way of getting his one true love back yeah. and that's really actually quite sweet i agree 100 percent. i think at least for me that's definitely a reason why this movie has stuck with me because i'm a i'm a softy i'm a hopeless romantic through and through i grew up listening to the cure from a very young age recently i did wizard of oz on the show with stacy from movie reviews and 20 cues and revealed that my favorite character in that 100 is the tin man because i just i love that yearning that he has to to have a heart to be able to love and the way he talks about it he clearly already has that like he's he's yeah. he's such a loving creature and i feel exactly the same way here that kind of tragic love story it 100% sucks you in, definitely. And I think it's a really, it's an interesting and bold move to shift that mummy design. You know, we think of a mummy as, you know, that wrapped in bandages kind of. And I think the move to to eventually make him more human looking, even though, as you said, it it kind of undercuts the horror of it. I think to some extent, it just kind of elevates the fact that his motivations are very human as much as he is yeah. a supernatural being. I think it's a really yeah. clever choice. Yeah, I, I I really agree with that, actually. What do you think? I was surprised. I was doing a little bit of research, which I don't often do. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but, you know, I, I knew I had the queen of research on the show, and I'm sure that you know this, but test audiences did not like the title of the film, The Mummy. What do you make of that? Because I've never really thought about it. I never really had a beef with it. I can't imagine what else you would title this movie. I feel like, first of all, test audiences are sometimes a bit dumb. Yeah, that's uh, completely fair. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, so many movies have been changed from their original intention because a test audience didn't get it. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like a lot of the time they obviously base decisions on test audiences. And I kind of wonder where they get these people from. Like, have these people ever seen a movie before in their life? Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, I feel like because this movie pays such an homage to the classic universal monster movies, you know, especially the one from like 1932. Um, yep. It takes so much of the plot and the characters it tries to be as faithful to that movie as it possibly can be. Yeah. I feel like sometimes with a movie, the simplest titles are the best titles. Uh, I agree. Because I feel like once once you get like a title by committee, 
you end up with something like Edge of Tomorrow, <laughs> which makes zero sense. <laughs> like, it sounds like a generic action movie thing yeah. about tomorrow and what and what what is the edge of tomorrow like that doesn't even make sense yeah is that but tomorrow that, evening <laughs> yeah exactly but that movie is is so fantastic yeah that they they then decided to rebrand it because they were like well you know people aren't getting this title yeah. um and i feel like with a movie like the mummy i mean i'm sure that you could call it something else but I feel like sometimes when you're paying homage to something, yeah. sometimes the simplest way is the best way. It'd be like calling uh, an adaptation of Dracula, uh, I don't know, Vlad or something <laughs> like that. It's like, yeah. but what is Vlad? Like, yeah, who is why Vlad? do that? Like yeah. that? Exactly. Like, yeah, okay, the character's based on Vlad the Impaler, but yeah. a lot of movie-going audiences aren't going to understand it. They're yeah. just going to go, well, I don't want to see a movie called Vlad. I, I know. Mean, what's we, that about? We had that same problem several years ago, and I will I will defend this film till the day I die. John Carter, I think, is a brilliant, brilliant film. The choice to call it John Carter was a really bad decision. And I know that yes. there was some marketing team that said you can't use the word Mars in the title because movies with Mars in the title fail. That just made no sense <laughs> to me. Because if you had called this movie John Carter of Mars or Warlord of Mars or Princess of Mars, any of those titles that come from the books it's based on, I think yeah. it would have done infinitely better. <laughs> but that's the thing. And, and I've also done John Carter on my podcast as well. And I remember talking about this in that episode about how ludicrous it was that they had Edgar Rice Burroughs who's one of the most well-known authors of all time. Yeah. You know, the guy who wrote Tarzan. Yeah. Why, you wouldn't call a Tarzan movie anything other than Tarzan. Exactly. Yep. And then you take a, a book like A Princess of Mars. One of my favourite books. And you, <laughs> and you don't call it A Princess of Mars? Yeah. Like, you know, yep. you, you give it like a generic dude's name. Like, and I, I know. know the guy's called John Carter, but audiences don't know no. John Carter. They Not as much as they know Tarzan. And it's so frustrating because that's actually it's a really good adaptation and I would have loved to have seen at least one more of the books adapted, <laughs> but we'll never it's get that now. It's really decent. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like a lot of people won't give it the time of day because A, it's called John Carter and B, yeah. <laughs> because people have heard that it's a bad movie. It's yeah. not a bad movie. It's, it's just a flop. It's really good. I mean, look it's at Blade Runner 2049. It's it's in the top ten box office flops of all time, and yet it's renownedly so good. a good movie. <laughs> I actually prefer it to Blade Runner, and Same. I know that's controversial. <laughs> so you already said that you're a ten out of ten on this film, which is very very awesome. I'm I'm a nine. <laughs> I love this movie so much. I I can't quite justify the ten, but it's one of those things where realistically, if I'm going with my heart. There's no reason not to give this a 10 other than I just know that uh, I don't know. <laughs> you see, I I went on uh, movie reviews in 20 Qs about yep. this movie and I gave it a really, really large hyperbole sandwich. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like I'm talking like millions <laughs> out of 10,000. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's I, I appreciate that it has flaws, but I... You sometimes you kind of got to look at it that every everything has flaws. Everyone has flaws. Yeah. No one is perfect, and nothing is perfect. 
and so you you just kind of accept the flaws as part of what makes that person or that thing something that you like and I can take the flaws of the mummy and and kind of accept them I still think it's the greatest movie ever made and I'm I've been quoted (laughs) that that I think that and I genuinely do because if a movie is this rewatchable and this much fun and I can continue to watch it and I can continue to talk about it on many podcasts and I will continue to talk about it on many (laughs) podcasts then I think that just kind of summarizes why it's the greatest movie ever made you know what that's a really beautiful romantic way of putting it and you've turned me around I'm a 10 now (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I have to agree with that I can't I can't deny the, that way of thinking. So I'm I'm a ten as well. <laughs> well, I wasn't expected to change your mind, but I'm really happy that I did. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this wonderful movie. Can you tell everybody where they can find Verbal Diorama and the wonderful show that it is and everything that you do? Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me, Billy. This has just been genuinely so much fun, and I'm I apologise because we've kind of ran quite over time. Oh. <laughs> Please. <laughs> but I did tell you <laughs> that it was possible. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I, I am not responsible for, for the length of time of this episode. Um, but, uh, yes, uh, my podcast is Verbal Diorama. And, um, yeah, I talk about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. So if you are in any way interested in... Well, I've mentioned quite a few episodes on, <laughs> on this uh, episode already that I've uh, that I've covered. But um, yeah, I'm almost at over 125, let's say over 125 episodes so far. Um, yeah, in almost three years. So I'm doing quite good. And yeah, they mostly are all solo episodes as well. I do have a couple of guests occasionally, but mostly it's just me. And uh, yeah, if you want to find me, just search Verbal Diorama on your podcast app of choice. Or you can, well, I guess if you just want to talk to me about The Mummy, feel free, (laughs) because I love talking about this movie, then hit me up on social media. I am at Verbal Diorama on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. So yeah, say hi. (laughs) It's an excellent show. I'd highly recommend it. I love that you do such a diverse range of movies. You know, like you say, it's the movies you know, movies you don't. You've done giant movies that everyone knows about but you also cover you know these little movies that not everybody will have heard of that quite frankly they should have so (laughs) it's it's a great show it's always unlike this show very thoroughly researched and prepared (laughs) and I, i can't recommend it enough so everybody should go check it out for sure thank you well you know it's uh i i try and be as thorough as as possible with research and stuff but um, the fact that your podcast is is not research does not make it any less of a wonderful podcast, let me just say. Well, thank you very much. Uh, next week, all going well, I'll be joined by M. Higgins from Tasteless talking about the new Scream movie, which I have been excited about for a very long time. So looking forward to that one. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with me, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing. And I'll catch you next week. (laughs) 